You are listening to the LTN Book Club, a bi-weekly read-along podcast positioned at the intersection of nerd and literary culture. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club. Alrighty, friends and family, welcome to the LTN Book Club podcast. Uh, today we are talking about How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe by Charles Yu. Um, content warnings before we get started, the book does include some strong language and innuendo. Uh, we won't be discussing them today in our podcast, but just if you're interested in reading the book. At uh, the back of the book summary is... Every day in Minor Universe 31, people get into time machines and try to change the past. That's where Charles Yu, time travel technician, steps in. He helps us save people from themselves. Literally. When he's not taking client calls, Yu visits his mother and searches for his father, who invented time travel and then vanished. The key to locating his father may be found in a book. It's called... How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe, and somewhere inside it is information that will help him. It may even save his life. This was published in 2010 by Pantheon. Uh, He won second place in the John W. Campbell Memorial Award for the Best Science Fiction Novel. Uh, He won second best science fiction novel from the John Wayne and Elise M. Gunn Center for the Study of Science Fiction at the University of Kansas. He was uh, one of Times Magazine's top 10 fiction books of 2010 and was one of the New York Times' 100 notable books of 2010 and one of Amazon.com's top 10 science fiction fantasy books for 2010. Oof, that's a lot. Uh, From our mailbag, uh, Sarah Eleanor says, I friggin' love this book. I reread it once a year for three years in a row, and I guess it's time to reread it. Thanks, Sarah. I'm glad to hear somebody else likes my choice in books <laughs> and that's uh Hillary. sorry i was just gonna say i know sarah personally and like she doesn't just like books so this is definitely a uh, big deal yeah it is yay thanks there hillary fraser frisco says um when i posted about this book on facebook she says wait this is a math slash grammar book i'm a huge grammar nerd and i love math and i already put the book on hold in the library uh, but then she started reading it <laughs> And she said, I don't think you want to hear my thoughts about this after all. Hubby and I are huge readers, and this experience was painful. I couldn't even get halfway. I'm sorry, Hillary. And if you're listening to this, I hope you actually do continue to listen to the rest after the spoiler zone, because I maybe will change your mind. But when I was where you were at that point in reading, I felt the same way. So no big deal. Isn't like halfway I'm pretty somewhere. sure we all did. <laughs> Push through for those of you. Oh, for sure. Reading, who are listening to this and want to read it, and then want listen to the spoiler zone after. Push through chapter seventeen. I promise it'll be it'll get better. If you haven't started reading this book and you are thinking about it, or um, if you were going to recommend this book to someone, um, who should read this book and who would like it? Well, the time travel itself is rather interesting because it's all like the way he structures it is based on not just grammar but like um 
word forms. So, and what I mean by that is like, uh, especially in different languages, they have different tenses that English doesn't really translate very well sometimes. So mm-hmm. like the, um, the imperfect and all of that, it, it, it's, it, it, it's hard to explain if you haven't studied another language that employs these because when you're saying it and trying to explain it, it's like, oh, I've tried to do it before. I tried to do it with my husband as I was explaining and I failed completely. But well, it's, um, it's the, so English does this to some extent with our verbs in the sense that we have yeah. verbs that have different senses of time. The idea that I'm sleeping or I ha- like, I am sleeping or I sleep, right? The idea that one is currently happening and one is I just do this on a normal basis. And so we just, we say that the verbs carry that tone. And in other languages, they have very specific meanings to the very specific way that the verbs are formed. And those tenses and moods, uh, like the subjunctive or the imperative, um, are part of how he does his time travel because he references this, these verb tenses and things that are super grammatical and super like, just like, I'm just like, wow, man, you've got some serious knowledge of language going on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, so present indefinite is the one that he uses a lot. Um, So yeah, so that's different from present definite, in that so the difference is like indefinite is i am currently doing this and i will continue to do this for undistinct like for for no until indefinitely essentially um i'm going to continue to do this i'm doing it right now though and for example a definite one would be uh i am doing this right now but it's going to stop soon like i'm so for example like difference between i am sleeping and like you said uh, i sleep um or i drink because like if you drink a water bottle it's not you're not gonna continue drinking indefinitely but um and i know that's that's probably not the best explanation for it but it's one like i came across it a lot when i was studying greek and it for an English speaker, it takes a little while to wrap your head around the differences. Right. It, which is probably why I really suck at explaining it. Because, like, I can I get it in my head. But to try and convey that to another English speaker, it's kind of like, well, you really just kind of need to learn this language. Just <laughs> learn, learn, learn another language that has these and then you'll get it. <laughs> Which, I mean, that also makes that kind of ties into another reason why you might want to read this book is that uh, yes. Charles Yu, the author, is, and Charles Yu, the character, are <laughs> first generation. Well, Charles Yu, the author, is a first generation American. His parents are from Taiwan, and that kind of and so there is a there is an uh, like an, a memoir esque autobiographical aspect to this book. So if you're into mm-hmm. that. Um, and it, he talks a lot about his family dynamics as being first generation American and interfacing with his father and his mother and what they were like, uh, and as a first generation American, let me just tell you that he definitely hits the tone of a lot of things, at least for my life experience. 
Um, and so I could resonate with that. And so if you're wanting to either kind of understand what it's like to be a first-generation American, there's some great stuff in here for you on that. If you are a first-generation American, you're going to resonate with some of the stuff in this book. Um, if you want to understand the struggle to be an immigrant family in the suburbs of a large town, um, also a great thing, great book to read, which is very, very you know, poignant considering the time of, of year. And since we're getting close <laughs> to the election and immigration is kind of a big deal. If you're trying to develop some empathy for people who come to this country from, from another place and their children, this is a book for you. I will say that like this book says science fiction and big letters on its um, on its cover. And I felt like this was not a book that you would generally pick up um, in the science fiction section after reading it. It strikes me as way more literary um, if you've jumped around um, to several different genres, though you himself feels like it kind of is trans genre or anti genre which I can also see. Um, but just like the the way that he tells the story or the smallness of the story and the way he spreads it out to as wide as it is, I would say it definitely hits literary style. Um, and like Campo said, Charles Yu is the author, but also Charles Yu is the protagonist. This book is pretty meta. So if you like that... Yeah, I got some definite Ready Player One vibes a couple of <laughs> yeah. times. So. Oh, and so his uh, he has a little um, his computer person. So it's a computer AI. And honestly, when when I was reading kind of their interactions and everything, I just got struck with the uh, Marvin the depressed robot from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I know this character. <laughs> and yes. it's not exactly the same, but it was definitely those vibes. And w one that I, I, it reminded me a lot. I was like, yeah, Marvin. There are definite allusions to a lot of sci-fi um, and mm -hmm. pop culture sprinkled throughout the book. So for if sure, you, if you enjoy hunting for those, this is a also, book for you. Also math, physics, and engineering. Um, like, So he works on time machines and helped his dad build one when he was young. And uh, at some point I was like, I'm going to have to go back and find like my physics notes to understand what this guy is talking about. It's been a really <laughs> long time since I've thought about any of this. I mean, I, I, I teach physics and I was still sitting there like, um, I can't read this just like. <laughs> passively i have to actively pay attention to this book because it gets he gets so in depth sometimes he and shoves just, all the nerd in there all the nerd just yeah. all of it language all together physics engineering One he just pop. shoves it all in there and most of the time you're just like i i don't have this level of advanced knowledge yeah seriously the guy's super smart so it's lots of googling lots involved of I mean, yeah, I had to look up a pronunciation for a word earlier today because I was like, I really don't know how this is, how this word, word, how do you say this word? Like, I don't, and I can't remember it now either. Gosh, so <laughs> go, go play the pronunciation again. Real quick. <laughs> Diegesis? Diegesis. Diegesis. Diegesis.
thanks for listening so far. If you are going to not join us in the spoiler zone, we hope to um, have you again whenever you've read this book. Uh, for the rest of you, we will be continuing on through to the spoiler zone. Um, hope you enjoy the rest of the cast here with us. All right. Um, so first and foremost, we'll talk about um, Charles Yu, the protagonist's experience as a first-generation American, or uh, in this case, a resident of Minor Universe 31. Um, like I said earlier, this section really resonated with me. Um, I think it was, I don't remember which particular segment it was that it really stood out. It was, I think it's beta. Is it beta? No, it's gamma. Is it gamma? Or was it alpha? Alpha two? <laughs> Can't even yeah, all the book is uh, divided up into Greek letters. Yeah. Um, Which are also mathematical terms. Yes. <laughs> In section gamma, which is chapters 21 through 25, uh, there's the section where there's the, the scene where his dad is trying to sell their uh, prototype. Um, director. And to, to, of the time machine, isn't that? And he's like talking mm-hmm. about what it's like to be, because um, he's he's gotten into the time loop, so he's being much more reflective than he has been up until this point, and so he's reflecting on his life, and so he starts talking about life at home and life with his dad and what it was like to help his dad build the time machine, and he just he makes the comment uh, of talking about like how people ask him where he's from and not meaning his parents, um, and I just like so. I'm first generation American. I have a very interesting Hispanic last name. Um, that I inherited from my father. Um, and I have it on both, like I'm both my parents are immigrants. One is from South America. One is from Canada. Um, and so I get this interesting look half the time because I don't look super Hispanic, at least not all of the time. Um, but I am very fluent in Spanish and super culturally Hispanic. Um, and so every time I introduce myself, I say my last name, like I should say it because that's how you say this. You know, I say it when it's with the Spanish accent and everyone's like, Oh, well, where are you from? And I'm like, America, (laughs) I was born here. I've lived here my entire life, but because I speak in language other than English, I'm not like I'm, I'm other. And so that just kind of like resonated with me really big. And then there's this whole interesting dynamic between him and his dad, of like, and I don't know, maybe I'm just projecting, but uh, of this like having come here and the cultural divide between first generation children and their parents is huge because mm-hmm. you have a generation that was raised in a different culture. Um, and then you have this sec- this new generation that has been pushed to and, and encouraged to assimilate into American culture. Um, and eventually gets to a point where if you're not, like so i was blessed because my my parents did a good job of trying to raise me in both cultures and if you're not a lot of my friends whose parents are immigrants as well um because i grew up on the border and so all of a lot of my friends their parents are immigrants there becomes this divide of like i don't know how to interact with my parents well i don't really understand what's going on uh, because the values in the home country are different from mine even now like there are things that i put a high value on that my parents don't necessarily understand um simply because I was raised in America. And while I can understand mm-hmm. that I can, uh, like I can intellectually affirm the difference, 
I just have a different value system because I wasn't, my dad was raised by a single mother in a developing country in South America with two younger siblings and he was the oldest. And so that creates this whole other dynamic when you're growing up in poverty in an impoverished country. And I was not raised that way. I had two loving parents and my parents had money and sent money home to my grandmother still in South America. So yeah, like it's just a very interesting. So that whole dynamic was really great. Um, there was a quote, um, in, this is like, this is what sons do for their time for traveling fathers act as biographers for them as science fictional biographers, as literary executors, taking the inheritance of the contents of their father's lives given to them in an unprocessed jumble out of order, nonsensical, um, this whole idea of continuing on the legacy. Um, if, if you talk to a lot of, um, first generation Americans, a lot of us feel this need to, um, like my parents sacrificed to get here. So I need to do better for them. Um, and that's a, that's something that's true in most, um, people of color in general, just the idea of like, I need to do better for the generation who sacrificed to get to where we are now. Um, and then also to carry on that legacy, like my, one of the things that I, I kind of look back on my life is I pushed myself in high school to be valedictorian of my high school class because my dad was salutatorian of his high school class mm-hmm. while growing up in poverty and not, and not being able to pay for study materials and working his butt off. And he lost by like thousands of a point on his GPA. Oh. Um, and so you're like, you're, I carry that weight of like, I have the ability and the resources and the, and everything that he's given me. And so like, I should, I should advance the next step, you know, which is not necessarily the most healthy thing in the world if we're being honest. But at the same time, it's like you, you just carry this like, man, like I, I am blessed to be here. And I also have to rec, I acknowledge the fact that I'm here because of their sacrifices um, and so I have a responsibility to, to tell that story, to carry that with me and how I live my life and how I talk with other people to acknowledge the fact that this is where I came from and this is who I am. Um, so I thought it was wonderful. It wasn't until that section of the book that I was actually sold on the book, to be honest. <laughs> I started getting okay. It was okay. Like I started getting better. And then the section of the book happened and it was just, it's like these four or five chapters of just like full on autobiography memoir. And I was just sitting there like, this is, I can't put this book down. Like I need to keep reading. I need to keep reading. I need to keep reading. And then the book was over and I was very sad. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's that section. It's a, uh, it's quite, it's very, it's intense. Like the, the shame that he carries mm-hmm. out of these scenarios, these situations is it's just, it leaps off the page. Um, and it, that shame bell just resonates with my shame bell and we're just clanging away. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. What's really interesting is, uh, I kind of have similar experience, but to a lesser extent, because I grew up in Australia, but was American born and had lived in America for long enough to actually have an American accent when we moved over. So by the time I was a teenager, I had this weird, mostly Australian, but like 
American words would come out. And then I'd get the, oh, where are you from? And then I'd have to exp- like be like, well, I was born in America. And then I'd get, a, oh, like, it would be of like this disdain um, that I'd come across. But it was like, but I don't know any, like, I don't know what it's like to be an American teenager. Um, like even in, <clears throat> in high school, they'd, um, so it's kind of the reverse in a way. Um, so instead of being, uh, like, well, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it'd be almost like asking a Mexican American who's born in America, oh, what is, like, what is it like in Mexico? Um, like, how, like, what are their perspectives as a Mexican, you know, how do they think? That's how I got asked about how I was American. So they'd be like, oh, uh, as an American, what do you think? And I'd just be like, I don't know, because I don't think like one. I don't know what they think. Like, that's, that's not a thing. (laughs) Um... And just that difference of values between me and my parents as well. Um, them having grown up in America their entire lives and lived there for a significant amount of time, and then coming to going to Australia and trying to integrate into that culture, which in some ex- some ways it's the same, but in some ways it's extremely different. And now that I'm back in America, I've like these past past few years it's it's been interesting because it's almost like a deconstruction of oh that's actually an australian value that's not a like global value <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's very different than what the americans think like um it's 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 very interesting to kind of have that so so there wasn't a lot of the i guess um expectations in the same way as as like um you know carrying on a legacy or anything but there was that shame of feeling like of just wanting to kind of hide where I came from because Mm -hmm. I would be judged just by that and not by anything else and because like essentially there was a number of times when people found out that I was from America and they just literally write me off like they would just stop listening and just assume that I'm going to be arrogant and all of that where I'm like, or, or like have these off the wall opinions. And I'm like, no, I, I have the same opinions as you. I think the same way as you, like I was young when we moved kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, it was interesting because it's, it's a weird thing to kind of, you know, we talk about first generation Americans and technically I'm not but at the same time I can st- like it's some of the experiences still resonate pretty deeply with me just based off of having moved to a different country yeah um but then also moving back it, it's like you, you get this weird double double kind of thing Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's something that we talked about in when we read the fifth season is that sense mm-hmm. of otherness that comes from having a different background. Um, and that's definitely pervasive in this book for sure. Yeah. Um, is, I mean, Charles, you views the world differently 
than a lot of people. And part of that is because of where his parents came from and how they raised him. And there's so much that goes into that. And so um, just like N.K. Jemison views the world differently than a lot, than some people because of her background and her history. And so there's a lot of, I, we've both, we've read two books by two authors of, of color and it seems to be a, rep- a recurring theme for us is to see that otherness that, and then the different things that the different positive and negative emotions that can be kind of associated with that. Um, you know, Jemison explored it with uh, the ragas and all of her uh, magic system. And then you explores it in a much more like autobiographical memoir kind of way, but it still resonates on the page. Mm -hmm. And really he, at least from the protagonist in the book, he doesn't say much about getting directly, um, overt negative treatment because of who he Mm -hmm. is and where he comes from. But it's a lot of like how people are polite to him that rubs him the wrong way. Um, Yeah. Because he knows he sees that they're treating him differently. Mm -hmm. They're being nice to him because they know what, like they can kind of look at him and sum up. Okay. You have your parents made this much money. You probably came from this kind of background. So this is the treatment that you're going to get because I'm supposed to be nice to you. Um, And he, he said that he finally in, in college read the term noblesse oblige, um, which is like the, uh, the idea that the gentry is supposed to be of a nobler character uh, than the lesser people's quote unquote. Um, And he's like, this is exactly the treatment I've been getting. And he like he wanted to just like scream in his literature class because he's like I like I haven't been treated poorly, but I've been treated as less mm-hmm. this whole time. Um, and that's as a person who's done that to people, um, it, it was a really big kick in the gut. Matt, do you have anything to add? You know, uh, <laughs> I felt like there was a way for me to say something like. Oh man, it's, it's, I can't relate in, in that same way. Um, so for me, I, I understood where he was coming from and what he was conveying, but I, it's, I can't relate to it on a personal level on that much because, um, my family has, you know, been here for, you know, for a long time. And I, my grandmother was half Cherokee. So, I mean, my family's been here for a long, long time. Um, before we really start recording, you know, American history. Um, so, so that part really uh, was, t- was, was tough for me to relate to. Um, recognize easy, but relate to was, was tougher. Where I really came into a connection with the character um, is this in the, the brooding sense of, of failure. Um, mm-hmm. Especially, you know, thirty-year-old character uh, feeling stuck in a rut, and so to make a long story short, um, my even you know even as a thirty-eight-year-old, a lot there are a lot of black people who you'll talk to and say, hey, you know, um, I'm the first 
and it'll be like him, the first person in my in my family to go to college. Um, you mm-hmm. know, first to to do this, to do that. Um, I am blessed to, and I'm proud to come from a family where I am not one of the first. Um, me not graduating from college is actually makes me one of the few to to not uh, to graduate or even go to you know to graduate school. So, um, you know. My my youngest aunt, she is a professor. She, uh, she teaches at a Canadian school, but she used to teach uh, English and history at Tufts University. My uncle's an attorney. Um, you know, my older sister's a doctor. My cousin Leslie's a doctor. Um, you know, my my youngest half brother is a doctor. Uh, sorry, he's a in his residency. Uh, like, there's a lot of very very intelligent people in my family. And for me being this college dropout who, um, who everyone expected to make it to, the, to finish college, but also expected to make it to the NFL. And I quit playing football too. And a lot of them were mad at me at that because every other male played D1 or better. Um, this, this resounding uh, sense of, you know, not measuring up uh, that, that news character really depicted a lot. I, I really understood that. Um, and unlike his father having this immense ability and great ideas, but being a perpetual fa- uh, failure himself, my experience is a bit different as I just, I look at, you know, all these people, my family, even my, my parents, you know, who, made over 200 K a year combined. Like, um, and I look at myself and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm nowhere close to that. (laughs) And, um, and you just, you know, I I look, you know, you look at yourself and you compare yourself to, to your parents and you want to, you want to do your family proud. You want to, to succeed for yourself, for your family, you know, for wife, your kids, um, for future generations. Uh, cause, coming from a legacy like that, you want to continue a great legacy. And if there's a poor legacy, you want to break it. You want to mm-hmm. be the one who breaks the mold. So um, I, in reading, I was like, wow, I really feel like, I really feel where he's coming from and where he feels, you know, stuck in that he can't move forward. And even a sense of a fear of moving forward because don't know what's going to happen and right now even though you're not happy with your current position you're un- you're comfortable in it as well mm-hmm. and he was extremely comfortable in his, in yeah. his little place of in time whether he liked it or not he was comfortable in it one thing that i really liked in the other trying time travel aspect was the the philosophical portion um, mm-hmm. that really became more clear uh, especially as you went past chapter 17 and oh, chapter 17 there was there was some teeth pulling and some pain with chapter 17 so I, I am not a big 17 I'm not a big time travel person and like time loops are the things that frustrate me the most because I hate, I hate the fact that like characters 
like in movies and whatever, are if they get stuck in a time loop, like it just keeps going and you can't ever change anything. And that just drives me nuts. So I was reading chapter 17 when this time loop starts and it starts going and I'm just like, no, no, this is exactly what I didn't want to happen. (laughs) So there there was a lot of um, wanting to throw the book out the window, but being like, no, I didn't want to happen either. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh no, I'm in a time loop. I just killed myself and I'm going to be in a time loop. And uh, it's just. Yeah, I, I had a lot of that same reaction, except I was I was seriously debating throwing the book. But then I was like, no, I got to finish this. I got to do the podcast. Can't let people down. So I kept oh, going. For sure. I did have, though, I had flashbacks to quarantine. Like, <laughs> because let's be honest. So I'm a teacher, so I'm not quarantined anymore i have to go to work um and i know like madeline has never really quarantined (laughs) (laughs) i'm a nurse Uh, friend (laughs) so but like well in the spring and summer when in the spring when you know the small amount of cases that were in the united states were enough to make us go to remote learning um compared to what we have now Mm -hmm. and uh and this that constant repetitive every day wake up do the thing go to sleep, wake up, do the thing. Nothing really changed. You know, we were just here living life, couldn't go anywhere, had to stay in the house. Mm -hmm. Like I was living in my little time machine box, just going through time in the present indefinite because we no one knew when this was going to end, right? Yeah, Uh, there's literally a description of that. Like when you read it, it's page 53 of this book. And it's literally like, ah, that is that is my life. Because I am still kind of quarantined because I'm an office worker. So yay for remote working. Um, but so I'm I'm a project manager currently. So it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I can do my job distance, which is great. But there's there's not really much to differentiate the days during the week, at least. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, okay. Well, yep. is today mm-hmm. a is today a Monday or a or a Wednesday? There have legitimately been weeks where I'm like, I don't know if it's Thursday or Friday. It's- My experience has been so much different. Uh, <laughs> <because> <laughs> I am probably one of the few people who's actually. And, and you're probably going to try to jump me for saying, but I've enjoyed quarantine. Oh, I've enjoyed it immensely. I, I just I don't am, know what day it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. And then, but it's also got to the point where I was like, I was also in a pretty heavy depression at the time. So it just, that, and that's the thing yeah. is like, he's living in his, he's living in his time machine and doing the same thing every day. And then in itself wouldn't be a bad thing, but like add his like blah on top of it. And it, mm-hmm. and he's having issues with it, and I resonated with that. Well, no, I, I, I get that because for me, for me, it's been twenty twenty has just been you know insane. Um, <laughs> in, oh, yeah. In short, like so, the quarantine part isn't that big deal for me. And I've heard a lot of people say what you're saying as far as the losing the track of time, um, you know, the the relentless monotony. Um, I'm just a simple cat. I I need you know, food, video games, um, and basketball. And I'm pretty good. Um, like I'm, I'm not, I have, I, I can be complicated, but I'm really a simple cat. Like it doesn't take much to please me. So I, it was pretty cool. And then getting laid off on top of it, um, mm. made it even mm. more simple. So I could have fallen into 
um, you know, just this lag of being lost in time, you know, being without vocation. And then uh, the emotional part, I've been going through a, a different emotional journey um, due to my health. So if you don't know, I was in the hospital in February um, and I was diagnosed with mild heart failure. So mm-hmm. my, so my mortality, I've been starting to feel my mortality in my mid thirties um, to begin with. Um, a, mo- a lot of the men in my mother's side of the family have, have died young, um, like in their fifties and not really much of a, and my favorite uncle passed a couple years ago on soon soon before his 60th birthday. So um, my mortality has been on my mind for a few years as far as uh, that part's concerned because of just, you know, men in my mom's side of family seem to be dying early. I never, I never even met my maternal grandfather. Um, Mm -hmm. He died before I was even born. So then I get this diagnosis because I'm I'm lazy. I've been taking care of myself because I eat like I'm still a collegiate athlete, and I haven't been a collegiate athlete in almost 20 years. Um, wow. So when you you're starting, I'm starting to feel and face that the ad aspect of time um, and reflection on wasted time and what you know what the future could potentially bring or how much future there even is. Um, you know, due to my own, my own neglect, my own, you know, my own actions, you know, I can't, can't blame it on anybody but me. Um, you know, I did it to myself and, you know, I, I don't come from a family with, you know, uh, really poor medical history. I, you know, I'm not from a family of, of fat people or people with weight problems. You know, it's been my own laziness and completely my doing. So, you know, some people take, a little solace in genetic predispositions. I don't have that to, to lean on. It's, it's all on me. So then I look at the fact that I still have, you know, three children that are, I, I'm supposed to be here to take care of. Um, and so that starts to weigh on your mind. So I, I really understood where, where you come, you know, where you're coming from, especially John, as far as, you know, negative mindset. I can't claim depression because I'm, I've never lived in a, had a depressive mindset. I would never have been diagnosed specifically as that. Cause I've was born in a Christian, grew up in a Christian home where knew and believed in, it was seen that God always provided, but this was a new experience for me. And just all this time of self-reflection um, mm-hmm. and being in that bubble, you know, in that small closet and, my house feels like that because I've got, you know, a wife and five kids in it. Um, you, know, you really feel constrained in that. And then you, it feels like, well, okay, well, how, you know, is there an escape? What can I do? Is there any change I can actually make and how? And then when you're unemployed and you're like, okay, I can change. And I, and I feel the, the character starts to realize change is a possibility, but then it feels like, you know, because of the, being shot by himself and, and, you know, being there and trying to go through the book that there's a lack of, of resources, you know, there's a lack of time, there's mm-hmm. a lack of knowledge and, you know, being unemployed um, is a severe lack of resources for any great ideas that would potentially come up to make my life different while in yep. quarantine. Um, mm-hmm. 
don't exactly, you know, can't say, hey, you know, I'm going to go, go out and start a business and change my life. Yeah. Um, you know, with what yeah. money? Um, right. And we're all waiting, you know, and a bunch of people waiting for hopefully another stimulus check. Like, you know, what, what, what do you do in that type of situation? Um, and then it leaves you feeling uh, definitely, definitely some lingering hopelessness for, for a while. And that's, that's definitely a really, it's disconcerting to, to, to focus on because then you can find yourself sinking deep into, uh, to despair and, and from depression into a deep despair. And that's something that I think the, um, you know, the, the car, the Charles, you character, um, really it already is like it, he does he tries to play it off and by using one of my personal deflection mechanisms is in humor um and he makes a lot, all these cracking all these jokes and you know you realize he's cracking these jokes to himself to try to make mm-hmm. himself feel better mm-hmm. you know about his own mental state and uh and, and there's so much self-reflection and for me that's been a lot of that there's been so much self-reflection because i i have all this time on my hands mm to self-reflect and it's like oh okay like what what are we what are we what are we really doing here do i you know am i going to do what is needed to, to you know improve my health do am i going to remember to take my meds am i going to am i going to get off my butt and exercise am i going to try to create um a legacy for if i do go earlier than i want to go am i going to be able to meet my goals being able to make sure that my kids are taken care of my grandkids are taken care of and yes i, I do have grandkids already um, you know, I want to be able to make sure that my ultimate goal of being able to be, you know, a godly man, um, and, and, uh, and leave a legacy for my kids and my grandkids to continue, you know, is done whether I'm here for, you know, another 30 years or if it's another two. I guess that, that definitely brings up a sense of the family dynamics that they're talking about as well in this book. Um, there's a scene where, again, so the infamous scene where his father tries to sell the his prototype time machine and it fails, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and on the car ride back, like the son knows this didn't go well, right? Like the main the protagonist, and the, but the father's still mm-hmm. trying to like give up this hope, right? Because like there's this sense of that, like, um, like he doesn't right. want his kid to see him broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think or, is, is what I got out of it. Yeah. His, his, he says, my father would always protect me against the world, would always stand between the world and me, would always be a buffer, a protective covering, a box for me to hide in. In this sense of just like, we see that, um, like the father, the, in a lot of the memoir aspects that, that desire of, of the father to be able to nur- nurture the child, his son. And uh, to some extent, uh, barring his own, mental health issues um and sense of failure uh but also like wanting to make sure that the son is okay and then when they do meet at the end you know the, the father's super apologetic like i didn't mean for this to happen um and it's just this moment of like closure that mm-hmm. i think is really good um in terms of their family mm-hmm. dynamic i thought it was wild how um charles you puts his mother in the equivalent of a nursing home um, yeah you can live in in this universe you can live in 
a time loop out of choice, one from your memory. Um, and so she has like a 30 minutes on repeat that she lives in forever. And he goes to see her and interrupts her time loop. And even though in her time loop, she chose one where she makes dinner for Charles and his dad, and then they go to bed. Um, whenever Charles, the real Charles comes to see his mom, she's like, she's mad at him because he hasn't come to see her, but then she's also kind of mad at him because he pulled her out of her time loop, her, her Mm. memory. Um, and first off I thought of as a brilliant, uh, metaphor for Alzheimer's. Um, but it's so often like our ideas of people is what we love versus who people actually are Hmm. um, a lot of times and that how his mom would rather have had her memory of them uh, rather than kind of the disappointment um, that Charles and then his absent father actually were. Uh, And in the same way as that, um, Charles's dad makes a pocket in time where he creates his idea of what his wife could have been. Um, Kind of if she, if she had achieved what his idea of self-actualization was for her. Um, And as soon as Charles figures out that that's who she is, he's like completely terrified of her because he's like, this isn't, this isn't my mom. Mm Mm-hmm. This is like maybe an idea of what dad thought he wanted mom to be, but this is not her. And he was super creeped out and, and freaked out. And I think that like so often we want things for people that we think they want to. Um, but oftentimes what they actually need is just the space to, to recover and heal and figure out what they want for themselves for sure and how like how often we force that on people in our family because I know I've done that in part to my siblings in one way or another throughout the years well we always have these expectations um for the people around us and the the ones we love we have the highest expectations for because we want what we think is best for them Mm -hmm. it's learning how to to let go and let them be themselves. Like um, it's been an interesting dynamic watching that happen for my wife and I, as we've been parenting our, our little seven month old and just, and, and dealing, you know, and discovering her personality as she discovers it too. And just having, we're like, well, we have these expectations for her. Like she should be crawling by now, but she's not because that's just not what she wants to do. So, and it's just going to get worse because she's going to develop opinions and and a voice and you know like and i'm like all here for how letting her have a voice and opinions and not letting her like i'm in charge of her but like helping her develop her voice and her opinions and her strong sense of self um but i also know that in doing that i'm gonna be having to let go of what i expect her who i expect her to be um that she's only seven months old and I can only imagine after years of years of being married and having this idea of who this person you're married to is um, and what you they're the ideal that they should achieve 
um, you know, if you're not, if you're not in a healthy relationship and where you're constantly talking about this kind of stuff, I think it could definitely derail um, and cause some serious tension, which is what we see in the family in this story. like this book uh it's hard to find books to recommend um that are similar to this one um but charles you charles you has written other books um interior chinatown um was his next novel or his most recent novel came out this year um and he's written multiple collections of short fiction he's Um, also written several like screenplays or i -hmm. guess like episodes of different tv shows that you might have watched so Mm mm-hmm He's, he's and, definitely out there. And has done some like nonfiction, um, like editorials and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, when I was reading through a couple of interviews that he did, um, I was able to find a book that inspired him. Um, and from the description that I could find about the book, it sounds like this is probably the closest thing that we could find to <laughs> how to live safely in a science fiction universe. Uh, this is called The Age of Wire and String by Ben Marcus. Um, and it is also, it sounds like it's an amalgam um, of a few different things um, and uses uh, invented universe to discuss uh, actual universe problems. So... If you like and, this, I'm going to check that out. I hope you do too. And honestly, to a certain extent, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's definitely more zany <laughs> and off the wall than uh, How to Live Safely, but it does have that kind of Similar. reality build- bending yeah. mm-hmm. um, and exploration of... More social concepts, I think, like just um, social structures and stuff like that. Um, it, it's one of those books where if you're not paying attention to how smart the author actually is, you might miss some of the references and think that the book is just dumb. <laughs> like it, it's it's like I said, it's zany, but I guess I can kind of. It's not exactly like how to live safely, but it, I almost feel like there may be kindred spirits in a way. Maybe not the same, but definitely like. They're both very smart books and sometimes too smart for their own good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> like You have to have a certain level of knowledge to understand what's going on. Like the answer to the universe being 42. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or yeah. And one thing that I, I thought was interesting, and now that we're talking about especially the, the requirements for, you know, the, the regret and such, um, where one of the notes I put was Minor Universe 31 was slightly damaged during construction. And as a result, the builder developer who owned the right abandoned the original plans for the space. Um, and my you know, my thought was like, well, why would we construct, like construction, like why would we construct, you know, these universes and who, and as a, a developer does it, I'm thinking business-wise, like wh- where's the money in that then? Like how are we, how are we profiting off of building these universes? 
if I'm thinking, you know, more of a, in a pragmatic, um, actual time travel way and not, you know, mental real estate where that's more of where it was, but I'm still thinking physically, like why would we create these pocket universes to travel into and visit and all that? And that doesn't make much sense. Um, but for his reality still, there's corporations built around, uh, you know, time travel. So I'm like, how and who is benefiting, you know, from this as far as monetarily? Mm. We, we didn't talk about the pop, pop culture references. Like, I, I, I had fun with that. I don't know if you guys did. Um, oh, I did. I oh, mean, yeah. My, there are so many, though, that I don't know if we could cover them. <laughs> well, we definitely can't cover them all, but my, my personal favorite I'll just mention was um, when he described what, what Ed was as a Microsoft middle manager. Program. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Ed. <laughs> uh, I was getting super clippy vibes from, from Ed. <laughs> oh, clippy. And Phil. Yes. Um, I was, so I did mention this book earlier and I thought I'd throw it out there too. If you do like a lot of like pop culture references, tie-ins to the real world, ready player one is a good book for you. If you haven't already read it, brilliant. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. Coming out next month anyway. Yes. So. so, and Ernie Klein does have another a follow-up book, ready player two coming out. I wouldn't recommend Armada. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> it's his second novel. It wasn't as great as ready player one. Already Ready Player One has a ton of 80s nostalgia throwback. Um, so if you're a child of the 80s, I technically am, but that means nothing because I was born in 89. Um, you don't remember anything in the 80s. Yeah, I don't. I don't. No. <laughs> I, was, I was born into a world that was uh, that was not, that where Berlin was not divided by a wall, only because only by like three days. So um, <laughs> I still remember the Berlin Wall going down and watching that on TV. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, I, I remember East and West Germany. <laughs> so, yeah. And I am I am strictly a 90s baby. So, <laughs> I did not, I am not Katie. 80s at all. Yes. Huh? We still love you, Katie. Yes. We still <laughs> yeah. We're not I am the you. young one. <laughs> <laughs> young right. in uh, quotation marks because this is 2020. Right. No one, no one, you know, anyone lived in 2020. No, you're not young anymore. No, no one. Right. Right. We you're just automatically aged. You're not. Yeah. Oh, you All lived right. through 2020? Yeah. It's like a winter during in Game of Thrones, in the Song of Ice and Fire <laughs> in Westeros. Yep. You've lived through a yep. winter. You're, you're no longer young and, and impressionable. <laughs> oh, no one's right. a child anymore. Yeah, no one's a sweet summer child. The only thing I could add is that, like, the way that. Charles U escapes from the loop is kind of an out um, in some aspects for all of us. So he can't change his past. He doesn't have a lot of control over what happens in the future, but he can change his intentionality in the present. Um, and I think that that's a small step, I think, for all of us moving forward. All right. Thank you so much for being here, friends. Um, I am Madeline. I didn't have people introduce themselves at the beginning. I'm so sorry. I'm Madeline Turnipseed. <laughs> um, and I'm, you can follow me on Twitter at mad underscore seed if you want. I'm Katie Tejador, and I'm on Twitter at krr Tejador. 
which is T-E-J-E-D-O-R. I am John Campoverde, and you can find me on Twitter at jcamp underscore over underscore day, D-A-Y. And I am Matt Williams. You can find me on Twitter at underscore rockin' Mr. Magic. That's rockin' without a G, M-R-M-A-G-I-C. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, if you have thoughts on the book we're discussing that we might read on air or books you'd like to suggest for us to read, you can drop me a line at madeline at lovethynerd.com. Be sure to check out all the podcasts in the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. Um, the Pull List is a bi-weekly show about how comics, pop culture, and faith affect culture at large. That's hosted by Chris Poirier and Hector Mirai. Uh, Humans of Gaming is a weekly show about video and board games that features open and honest conversations about games, life, and belief, hosted by Drew Dixon and Chris Waltney. Uh, Free Play is a weekly show about any and all things nerd, where you feel more like a participant and less like a rando on a message board. That's hosted by Kate Katawaki, Bubba Stalkup, excuse me, sorry Bubba, and Matt Warmbier. And Church Nerds is a podcast partnership between Love Thy Nerd and Back Row Radio, hosted by Anna and Bubba Stalka. I did it again. Dang it. I'm really sorry, Bubba. I can't say your name when I think about it. This is a special morning show each Friday that combines their church cred and the nerd cred to show you just how well these two ways of life come together. Also, be sure to connect with us on all your social media platforms. Just search Love Thy Nerd or find week's links on our website, lovethynerd.com. This has been the LTN Book Club. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club.